Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, how many of you um, got sugared up last night? Anybody get sugared up? It's interesting, the grandkids came over to the house after the trick-or-treating. I love it when they do that. And uh, Will, the oldest grandson, he comes over. I said, come here, show me what you got there, big guy. And uh, he pours it. I said, just pour it out right here on the couch for me and everything, and we'll just take a look at what you got. And he did all that, and of course, I saw something I had to have, and I took it, and uh, (laughs) I did replace it with some of the candy we were handing out. It wasn't as good as what he had there in the bag, but anyway, uh, but uh, it's always a good time, that's for sure. We're continuing the series, In Him, For Him, and I want you to think about our progression through the book of Ephesians. Think about what Paul has done here. Uh, think, Think about this progression. In chapter one, Paul outlines the spiritual blessings and new realities that come from knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then he prays, I love this, he prays, oh, I I hope you get this. That's really what he's doing there when you read chapter 1. Then chapter 2, he clearly outlines what we were before Christ and and how we became uh, to be known in Christ. Then he tells us that we're all included in what Christ has done. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, black or white, what nation you're from, doesn't matter what your background is. We're all in this together. In chapter 3, he tells us the great privileges we have in being in Christ. And once again, he tells us that we're all included with what Christ has provided. Then last week, as we began chapter 4, he challenges us to walk in unity and how unity and peace are preserved. He shows us how to do that. So how do we preserve what he's provided for us? We do it by walking in humility and all the things that we looked at last week. Which leads us to the passage this morning. Look at the introduction there on your outline. Paul is exhorting us to, to unity. That we may fulfill the calling of our life. To minister to others and reach the lost with the gospel with our gifts through the local church. You see, that's what Paul was doing. And it's kind of interesting, as Paul is writing this letter, we looked at this when we introduced this whole uh, study, that that when Paul wrote the letter, he obviously, from historians, they tell us, he wasn't just writing to the church of Ephesus. It seemed to be a letter that was kind of spread out amongst the churches there in the whole Asia Minor region. And so it wasn't just one church that received this. It was, it was numerous churches. And, and then it's, it's kind of ironic that it, did, it wasn't just for the churches in that region. It became a, a letter to churches that would come down through the ages, even to where we are today. And he's telling us we need to understand that there's a purpose behind all that Christ has provided for us. You see, in these verses today, Paul's focus changes to individual responsibility within the body. Each member is specifically gifted by God, and each part works together towards a God-given goal. God designed the church and empowers it to have divine influence through the gifts that he gives each individual. And so that's what's happening here. That's what he's spelling out for us in the passage we're going to be looking at today. The first thing I want you to see there on your outline is the amplitude of the gifts. The amplitude. Now, the word amplitude, I had to have an A word this this week. (laughs) It's the only one I had that would even fit. And some of you are like, what in the world does that mean? It means to the full measure or the scope of something. In this case, the extent or capacity of the gift or gifts God has given to each one of us. 
So it's that extent, that capacity that he gives in the gift he gives. So, so look on your outline. The gifts are, number one, manifested by the Holy Spirit. They're brought about. They're, they're given. They're, they're given to us through that Holy Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what he says. The, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. He says there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. What are you saying? He's saying, okay, I've called you. Paul said this. Paul is basically saying, we've all been called to unity. But in the unity, there are differences. And there should be differences. But he's saying that the differences should rest in the gifts that have been furnished and given to us as believers. These verses tell us that God is orchestrating the work of the church through the Holy Spirit and through the gifts that he's given to each of us. Now, here's something you may not know. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell you at that time. When you step out in faith towards him, when you repent of your sins, place your faith in him, place your life in him, Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes in, guess what? He brings gifts for you to use to help build the kingdom of God. So if you know him, the Bible says every one of you have a gift. It's a gift. It should be a gift that should be discerned, should be pointed out, should be something that you use, should be something that should be developed. And so the way that it comes through us is it's manifested by the Holy Spirit to us. Number two, the gifts are measured by grace. Now, this is kind of interesting terminology. But when you measure something, it means something that is carefully calculated and then given out proportionally to what is needed. That's, when it, that's the context of what that word measured means here in this verse. So look at chapter 4, look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's the whole idea, this, this gift. So the, so the phrase, each one of us, implies unity and diversity. When God saves us and places us in a local church, listen, he intends to use us for eternal purposes. So many times, though, you know how we conduct our lives? For temporary purposes. Many of us are so caught up, and, and I've been there too, and I, I've seen you there. Don't we? we get so caught up in the temp temporal that we lose sight of the fact that there's eternity that awaits us. And so we get so consumed with what is before us that we lose sight as to what, is, what awaits us and what we should be moving our lives towards and what we should be working for towards eternity. Listen, the, the reason, listen, God saved you was not only because he loved you and wanted to save you. He did it also to put you in a position to, to, to glorify him among the nations and also to let him be known through your life. But so many times we lose sight of that. And so there's a whole idea of something that's been measured, something that's been given. The, 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 the word grace in verse 7 is the ability... It's used in this context. It's the ability God gives us to function in a local church to become like Christ and to preserve, persevere in growth until he comes or calls us home. Now, now, here's the context. Jesus measures out the exact measure of grace ordained by God for us to be successful in our walk. Now, think about how he introduced the whole chapter 4. 
He talked about walk worthy. Remember that terminology? Walk worthy of the calling that's been placed upon you, that you've been called, excuse me. And then he says this. He says, okay, how do we do this? We're going to walk in this grace. So he measures out. He says, I want you to walk worthy. It implies a successful walk, okay? But he says, I want you to do that. I want you to keep in mind that grace, as you're thinking through this, grace is both unmerited favor, like we've already learned, but grace in verse 7 is also divine empowerment. There's something that comes with it. So how do we come to Christ? We came, his grace reached out to us, unmerited. I mean, it wasn't anything that we did to, to get his attention to do. He, he just reached out to us, his unmerited favor towards us. But then second of all, that grace also brings this divine empowerment. Thirdly, the gifts are motivated by Christ. How did they even come about? That's really what we're saying here. How did did these things come about? Look at verse 7 again. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. You see, Christ sacrificed much to not only give us grace, this whole unmerited favor or enablement and empowerment. He also sacrificed much to bring about the gifting that we have. It all comes by way of that sacrifice. Next, look on your outline. The appraisal of the gifts. The appraisal. In verses 8 through 10, what you're looking at is literally a parenthesis of the last phrase in verse 7. So look at the last phrase in verse 7. Look at it. It says, Christ's gift. Verses 8, 9, and 10 are really like a parenthesis to tell you how that came about. That's what he's showing us there. So, so the first thing, I want, well, let me show you this. The first thing I want you to see is the great cost. The great cost, his descent. Look at verses 8 and 9. There's a lot of mystery that surrounds these verses. The Bible says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Verse 9, now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, there's a lot of debate. A lot of, I mean, it depends on the scholar that you read. It depends on those who are trying to interpret scripture. There's all kinds of ideas as to what these verses are actually meaning. But the thing that I want to point out here, I don't necessarily want to get into all the, the details of what it means. But the thing I want you to see is this. This is a picture. There's a picture that's being displayed here of a general who goes off to war and then comes back to his people to display the victory. Now, he not only displays his victory in the, in the victory that he has over conquering, but he also displays the spoils of his victory. Now, here's what you need to understand. Jesus went to battle with death and Hades, or death and hell, and won and is now bringing with him the captives the enemy held. And the spoils of the battle. Now, many people believe that the captives is a reference to Old Testament saints. That's what many people believe. So so you're looking at something as Paul is writing in the whole context of what Jesus Christ did, the death, burial, and resurrection, and the whole idea of him looking back to the Old Testament saints. He's setting them free. But also, is he not only setting them free, he's also bringing the spoils, the the, the victories, the things that are gained as 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 a whole idea of the victory. And he talks about it in the terms of gifts. Now, we not only see the great cost, but look on your outline also the great value, his, his ascent. Look at verse 10. 
He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. Now, this is talk of dominion and, of course, the location of heaven. It speaks of Jesus' current location and his superiority over the events of the earth, even though he is removed from the earth, he's in heaven. His power and presence now fills the universe and through the Holy Spirit, his, he works out his plan. Therefore, the church, here's what, he's, here's what he's, we're trying to understand here. The church is the body of Christ. People with gifts enabled and empowered to minister to the church. All this is made possible by the great cost Jesus paid and the great value given by God himself to what Christ has done. Now, that's the language of verses 8, 9, and 10. It's very difficult to get your mind around, to get your heart around, because there's so many views as to what it means. But the thing that you can take away from these verses is, is, is a description of Christ's sacrifice and what it entailed. And the fact that in the context of what we're reading, what it entailed was the fact that he was able to have dominion, not only over the whole earth, but especially over the church, in the fact that he's bringing gifts to the church. Okay? Now... Let's keep moving, and then maybe this will come together for you. So Jesus gave and gives costly gifts to fulfill his plan and our calling. But what are the gifts? Look on your outline. The assortment of the gifts. Look at verse 11. It says, And he himself, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What you have here in this passage are five kinds of ministers. Uh, the ministers appear to be in some type of leadership position. That seems to be what he's listing here. Uh, now, the first three were more itinerant ministers who preached wherever they found an opportunity. They would be the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. While the last two, the pastors and teachers, were attached to some congregation or some location. Now, when he says gave in verse 11, it means he gave these gifts on decision of his will and not the merit of the recipients. It wasn't like he looked out over the expanse of time and said, okay, here's, here's Bob over here. I tell you, Bob, he's very impressive. He, I mean, it is amazing. What, here, I think I'm going to let him be an apostle. That, that's not the, what you're seeing there. If that were the case, I would never, I wouldn't be in one of these. I wouldn't be a pastor <laughs> because he saw something. And I'm just going to be honest with you. The Bible also, Paul also alludes to the fact that sometimes God calls the weak to confound the strong. He call, sometimes he calls the, calls the unwise to confound the wise. I mean, it's amazing what he does when he starts calling people. So it's not this whole idea of look at me, I'm an apostle, or look at me, I'm a prophet. No, it's with humility that these things are given. We saw that already. But not only that, it's not, it's not if you hold these positions, it's not because you're anything special. It's just God chose to bestow those things upon you. And there comes great responsibility with those things. Now, let's kind of break this down. What is he talking about in these five areas? So look on your outline. I'm going to go through them quickly. First of all, you have apostles. And it was one who was visibly called, commissioned, and sent out, and also given authority and power by the risen Lord. By the risen Lord. Now, there's some debate about apostles. There's some who hold that this was a position 
that was only given to those who were visibly called by, by the risen Lord himself. Okay, And so it, when those original apostles died out, the whole idea of apostleship died out. Now, there's other people who would disagree with that. I, however, believe in what I just discussed, that, that when the apostles died out, this position died out with it. And I, I, that's just me. That's how I see that. Now, number two, you have the whole idea of prophets, one who has the ability under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to proclaim and possibly predict the actions of God. And I tried to give you the verses there to look and see how these things come about and the credentials that come with it. Next, you have the evangelist, one who has a special gifting to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Now, some people would say, well, what, what, what would be the closest to who these people are? It could be missionaries. It could be those who not only know how to communicate the gospel, but they know how to strategically go about <laughs> spreading the gospel. They've been gifted in such a way. Now, does that mean this? Does it mean that only the evangelists should go out and share the gospel with the lost? Of course not. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the office. It's talking about the office of the evangelist, uh, the one who's been specially gifted to kind of oversee those projects. We're all been called to share the law, to share the good news of Christ with the lost. Fourthly, pastors, one who has the ability to minister in a local church through leading, challenging, restoring, encouraging, and protecting. It's the whole idea of the shepherd. That's what the word pastor is, where it's derived from. The whole idea of a shepherd, the way he would take care of sheep. That's what a pastor does. And then there's teachers. Now, some people, when they look at this list, they would put pastor-teacher together and say that's just one thing. But many people, including myself, I've seen those who were, who were great pastors who ne didn't necessarily have the gift of teaching. And those who had the gift of teaching who, do, who weren't necessarily good at shepherding people or leading people. And so I believe we're talking about five different things here. So the teacher is one who has the ability to comprehend and understand the word of God and then can instruct, challenge, warn, uh, comfort, and warn from its truths. And so they can study something, they see something, something that becomes apparent to them in God's word, and then they can share it in such a way that it challenges or possibly even comforts others. Now, God's strategy for the accomplishment of his plan, here's what we need to understand. When it comes to gifting, is not a sporting event. How many of you are going to watch a little football today? Yeah, plan on watching it. Your wives are sitting there thinking... Yeah, you think you are. No, I'm just saying, okay. Well, yes, yeah, so most of us, many of us, hopefully, we watch a little football today. Now, now, what are we going to be doing? We're going to turn on the tube. We're going to be sitting there. We're going to see about anywhere from fifty to 75,000 fans sitting there looking at us, some of them live. We're all going to be sitting there watching 22 men on a field go at it today. Now, what are we in that scenario? We're spectators we're, we're, we're basically living out uh, our, our dreams and what we hope to be right there on the football field, at least some of us men, right? How, how many of you look out there and, and, and some of you think, man, back in my day, I could have done that great day, you know? Or, or many of us sit there and think, man, I wish I was gifted enough to get out there and do some of that. I mean, there's all kinds of, way of look, ways of looking at it, but here's what we need to understand. When it comes to, to, to Christ and why he died for and why he's implementing as it relates to the church, listen, 
It's not where you have a bunch of people sitting around watching the other people do what they've been called to do. The church is made up of those who all have a call placed on their, on their lives. Now, here's what you need to understand based on the list we find here in Ephesians chapter 4. These are, just five, these are just five positions. Some people would classify these as offices. This is not an exhaustive list of, of, of uh, gifts found in Scripture. Let me give you two other places where you can find a, a list of gifts. Romans chapter 12 and also 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So Romans 12, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So you have those two other lists. It doesn't mean that maybe you're not one of these five. Some of you may be sitting there saying, well, I'm glad, man, I'm not one of those, I tell you. Well, your gifting could be more over here in Romans chapter 12. It could be a servant. It could be someone who has a gift of mercy. It could be uh, someone who exhorts people. It could be many different things, a giver. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 gives us a whole other list that sits there. And so we have these, these ideas. And so what we're intended to be are, are not to be spectators in the church. Hey, hey, you're doing good. Keep the good work up. By the way, here's a little money. Hope this helps. No, it's everybody getting in it together and realizing we all have a call placed on our lives. There's something God wants to accomplish in and through our lives. Next, we see the assignments of the, of the gifted. The assignments. And the first thing you see there are the tasks of the gifted. And the first one there, there's, there's really two here. We have the whole idea of equipping. Equipping. And it means to provide what is needed to be complete. So if you're going to equip something, here's what it looks like. If, if you're called to equip, it means there's the whole idea that something needs to be completed, but there's something missing. And so what you're going to do is you're going to bring the piece that will, keep, uh, that will make it complete. Okay, that's the whole idea of, of equipping. So look at verse 12 of chapter 4. Look at what he says. He says, why are we to do this? Why, why, are, why are there people giving gifts? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, so, so I'm maybe someone over here who needs to be equipped. Uh, when God called me to be the pastor or be a pastor, uh, I, I felt he was calling me to, to, to that task. When I was in my early 20s, and I went to my pastor, and I said, what do I do next? I feel like God's called me into something. He said, well, you need to go get equipped. You need to get educated. I said, really? <laughs> I was hoping we could bypass that part. No, I'm just kidding. And, and, so, and so I made my way. I, that's how I wound up here in Shelby. I came to Gardner-Webb University, back then Gardner-Webb College. And it was there that I began my pursuit of, of, of equipping myself for the work of the ministry. And God brought people into my lives. And, and it was very interesting. It wasn't just that God was using the people at Gardner-Webb to equip me. God used people right here in this church. I've been a part of this church for 26 years now. And, and God used people in this church to equip me also. And, and that's where most of the equipping happens. It's not something that happens at a university necessarily they, that can aid there. Most of my equipping came right here in, the, in this local congregation. God equipped me through this body. And, and he does the same thing with each of us. The word equip also means to, to mend, to repair. It literally means to set a bone. It's something that's not only needs something that needs to be completed, it could mean something that needs to be restored. The primary tool God provides, provides for the equipping of the saints or to equip us, listen, is his word. It's his word. 
Okay? So how are we going to fix something in the body? We're going to use his word. How are we going to restore something in the body? We're going to use his word. How are we going to see our gifts become all that God desires them to be? We're going to use his word. How do we equip parents to be the parents God's called them to be? We're going to use his word. How are we going to, to make, uh, create godly marriages that, that are in the image of what God desires? How are we going to do that? We're going to use his word. All the equipping comes by way of the word. Now, the word work here is very interesting. The work here in verse 12 implies occupation. It, that's what it means. It means we have an occupation in some form, however our gifting is, we have an occupation to equip. And God's going to use different people to do that. He'll, he might use a pastor. He might use a teacher. He might use someone who has the gift of service, someone who has the gift of mercy or whatever. But he's going to use that. There's an occupation associated with this. So, so it begs the question of, the, of this. So here's a question for you. What is your occupation when it comes to ministry? What's your occupation? Mine, he's called me to be a pastor. I'm looking out here, and some of you, it's obvious he's called you to be a teacher. Many of the people here on the platform who led worship this morning, I, I see them as people who have to get their exhortation or, or encouragement. They want to encourage us to praise God, and so they have a heart for that. So they come here to help us to do that, and, and you have all these different things, but we all have an occupation. So the question is, what's your occupation? Think of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said this, the son of man, you know what the phrase son of man literally means? The servant of man. That's literally the context of what it means. This is Jesus talking of himself. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now here's how, here, I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ left heaven. How many of you realize Jesus existed before his birth, before Bethlehem? He left heaven Okay, think about what he did. He left heaven. He was God. He came down to earth, listen to this, to serve men, to serve us, to serve men. How is it? I mean, think about what he did. How, how did he serve us? Number one, he provided salvation for us. You do understand that, right? And another thing he did from the context we read in verses 8, 9, and 10 is he provided gifts for us, the gifting. It gives us the ability to, to, to continue the work of the kingdom. So, so he did all that on our behalf. Now, now, let's take us for instance. How dare us to say, well, we're here and we were created to be served, not to serve. How many of you think that's just crazy? That's crazy when God, deity, said, hey, I came here to serve and not be served. And we're the ones who are being created by him, made in his image. The ones who we say he saved us. The one we say he gave us gifts to, to build the kingdom. And yet we sit here, no offense, but I hope you take some offense. And we sit here and we say, no, we're, we're here to be served. That doesn't work in the context of what he's talking about here. He's called us. Oh, to serve. Ministry here in this verse also implies mission. It's people who not only have a ministry, they're gifted to have a certain ministry, but they have a mission about it. There's a passion that comes with it. They desire to see something. Now, look, look at your outline again. Not only do we see equipping, but we also have this whole idea of edifying. 
And it means to strengthen by instruction. To strengthen by instruction. So look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the uh, edifying of the body of Christ. Now, some of your translations say this, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, think of this. Edifying and building are both words which imply both progression and addition. Okay? If you're going to go build something, you're going to start something that's going to progress. Okay? There's going to be progression. You're going to see it. There's a house going up in our neighborhood right now, and I have to go by it every, every day. I mean, and I look off to the left, and I see the progression that's being made on that house. Before, they just had the foundation there, and then all of a sudden, uh, they've got the studs going up. Now they're attaching the plywood to the, to the studs. I mean, you're starting to see something take shape. Before you know it, there's going to be an, an, another addition in the neighborhood, but there's a progression, and then there's addition. That's what the word edifying literally means to build something up, to, to bring it about. Now, here's what we need to understand. We should be building a great work here at Putnam. Do you realize that? Every local church should be building a great work for God. That's what we've been called to do. That's the reason the church exists, is for that reason. And so when you think about it, we're, we're building a great work for God. Listen, listen to this. We're in your homes, you're also trying to build a great work for God. That's what your goal should be. Now, how many of you would say in your homes, we're just trying to survive over here? I've been there. I know what you're talking about. But listen, our homes should be more than just surviving. Our homes should be the mindset, whether we have children or grandchildren or whatever's there, or whatever we're doing, should be the mindset that we're building a great work here for, the, for God himself. And that's what we need to be looking at as it relates to our lives. And so, so many times, you see churches put so much emphasis on buildings, so much emphasis on, on structure. And Listen, you need buildings many times to do ministry. But the, listen, the work of the church is not necessarily, the primary reason is not to build buildings. The primary reason for the church is to build people, to build homes, to build fathers, to build mothers, to build, to build children who grow up to become, to become disciples of Christ. That is what we're about. Do you have to have buildings sometimes to bring that about? Yeah, you, sometimes they're necessary. But the churches that focus just, hey, we're going to build this and we're, going, and we're talking about structures, if that's the primary reason for that's the wrong reason. It's about building people, building into the lives of others. And y'all, that's been my vision for this place from the very start. I, I, I'm going to fill you in. You've heard some of this. I came here as a, as a 25-year-old man. When I first came to this, I think, no, actually, I was 24. 24. I came here. I knew God was calling me into ministry. I, 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 I decided that Garden Web may be where he wanted me to start my pursuit of my education. So I, I started Garden Web. I went over there. I started visiting churches and, and wound up here. 26 years ago. And what's interesting about here is this whole idea of equipping. I was learning a lot over at the school. I was learning a lot about theology. I was learning about, a lot about programming for the church. I was learning about all those things. But do you realize some of the greatest learning or the greatest learning I learned was right here in this body, right here at 1146 County Home Road? This was where the greatest learning for me took place. And it was here that God brought people into my life to invest in my life. It was here. 
Listen, the, the things that I learned here enabled me to have the ministry God called me to have. I'm just going to be honest with you. you. You think a lot of it was about the theology and all that? Yeah, that was a great help. But the root of what God was doing in my life, listen, came by way of the local church. That's where it happens. That's where we grow. And my, my vision for this place, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. How many of you right now at times feel sorry for young families trying to raise their children in this, in this culture right now? I do. I, I really, uh, and, and it is amazing how when you become a grandparent, how more mindful you are of those things. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. My heart goes out to young families that are trying to make their way in this world, trying to navigate around all the landmines of our culture, trying to navigate around all the deception that's out there, trying to, to root itself, a family that's trying to root itself in the truths of God's word. That is the type of church that I want to pastor that helps families to understand, hey, here's the truth. Here's something that will never change. The culture has set you up for this. It has provided you all this. Here's the perspective of the, the culture. And by the way, let me just tell you about the culture. Ten years from now, it's going to look totally different. We got to help people get back to building their lives on the truth of God's word. And we need to hold it up as truth. So many churches in our community, right here in this community, they're not holding up truth. They're holding up what they prefer to see in God's word. They're holding up what they think the culture will accept about God's word. Not God's word. And we got to get the families, we got to get the daddies and the mommies and the children to understand the truths of God's word. And it is something they can build their life upon. Next. The task of the gifted. Why do we equip and edify? It leads us to this whole idea, the target of the gifted. What are we trying to achieve? What are we moving towards? Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. It's fourfold. I want to show it to you right here. Notice the phrase, we all. Here's, here's the question I have for you this morning. Are you included in we all? If you're included in we all, if you say, yes, I want to be included in we all, verse 13, Paul is telling us, here's the target. Here are the goals. Here's the journey for what it should look like in your life. And he gives us these four things. He, he's saying this, this is the goal. When you, the phrase come to literally means to attain, which implies one traveling or reaching a desired destination. That's what he's trying to show us here. And so there's four targets. There's four desired uh, destinations. Look on your outline. First of all, the unity of the, faith, of the faith. It means oneness, that we're unified. Listen, something that's not unified when it comes to people will never last. Something that is not unified will never have an impact. You realize that, right? He's calling us as individuals to come together to be unified, how? In the faith. Not in the whole idea of what the culture is teaching. In the faith. Not what Oprah says. In the faith. Not what, uh, it's gotta be built on that. The unity of the faith is a shared understanding in the church of the great truths revealed in scripture. No growth towards wholeness and maturity can occur without the unity of the faith through the correct understanding of good Christian doctrine. 
Which leads us to number two. Another target. That we come to the knowledge of the Son of God. And it's really twofold. I have one of them right there on your outline. And it literally means an a accurate or an accurate view of God. Now, why would I put accurate view of God? Because there's a lot of inaccurate views of God that are out there. Not only inaccurate views that are promoted by the culture, but inaccurate views in which some of us as individuals have. Because many of us see our Heavenly Father the way we are raised by our our earthly fathers. If we had a if we had a have a earthly father who was a tyrant, who basically was that whole idea, it's my way or the highway, and you'll listen to me and know, then, then that's probably how we view our heavenly father. Let me tell you, a lot of the counseling that I do, I'm just going to be honest with you. The reason I'm even doing the counseling with them is because they have an inaccurate view of who God is. And by the way, he's not some genie either. Who says, yeah, just come to me and I'll do my best to get everything you want, honey. <laughs> That's not the God. He's, he's one that wants to bring the best things in our lives. And guess what? Some of the best things in our lives may be what we not determine as the best things in our lives. But he knows what are the best things of our lives. But it's the whole idea of just having the correct knowledge of God. A deeper, more intimate, and experiential knowledge of God. Listen to this. If you have an accurate view of God, then you can truly experience God. If you, don't have an accurate, if you don't have an accurate view of God, you'll never experience him the way he desires to be experienced. A third destination, perfect man. Anybody in here perfect? <laughs> it means mature. It's the whole idea of moving towards maturity. Moving towards maturity in our view of who God is, in our understanding of God, in our understanding of God's plan for us, and in our, in our will, willingness to surrender to him. That's how we move towards maturity. Number four, our fourth uh, target or destination, the fullness of Christ. It literally means to be complete. Complete. The idea of complete conformity to the body, uh, to the image of Christ. Howard Hendricks once said this, the Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity, but to make you conform to Christ's image, not to make you smart, a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of Bible facts, but to transform your life. That's what it's all about. The body of Christ is to radiate the beauty of Christ to a spiritually dead world by walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And this is what it looks like, these four targets. Next, the testimony of the gifted. I gotta hurry. Number one, follows good doctrine. Not just knowing good doctrine, following good doctrine. Look at what he says in verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Tossed to and fro literally means this, to be thrown into confusion. Let me tell you what I look at when I see a lot of young families. I see a lot of fathers, a lot of mothers. I see people who are totally confused totally confused about what their children need from them and what the Bible promotes is what needs to be in that child's life. The picture that you have here of tossed to and fro is a picture of a small sailboat being blown in one direction and then another by the wind that keeps changing direction. Y'all, let me tell you what the wind is in today in this day and age. It's our culture. How many of you notice what our culture tells us? Oh, go this way. It'll, 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 you can have this if you'll do this. Oh, 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 no, let's go back this way. 
How many of you don't even know what to eat anymore? I remember eggs. You remember eggs? Eggs were the worst thing you could eat. And then all of a sudden, three months later, oh, eggs. Oh, you got to have eggs. Good Lord, you got to have eggs. It's almost like the egg people who own, who, who own the industry of producing eggs stood around and said, hey, can't say that. They need eggs. So guess what? Eggs are good for you now. I'm not saying that's how it happened. Processed meat. I've never been more depressed in my whole life than this past week. You can't eat bacon anymore. Come on, give me a break. But the culture is constantly moving. I mean, I'm just taking food for an example. Philosophies of life, how to conduct yourself, how to, it's all changing. It's constantly moving. And the only thing that is unchanging is what? God's word. This is what we got to build our lives upon. Follows good doctrine. Here, here's another one. Not easily and comfortably deceived. <laughs> Look at what it says in verse 14. He says, by everyone uh, by doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Trickery of men literally refers to intentional fraud or sleight of hand in the spiritual sense. Let me tell you one thing about my family and one thing about your family. Did you know that your family is counting on you not to live in deception? My family is counting on me not to live in deception. Your family is counting on you not to live in deception. How do you, how do you fight against deception? you got to know what truth is. That's the reason sitting here today is important. That's the reason studying God's word is important. That's the reason going to his word on a daily basis is important. So we won't be deceived. And Paul is basically saying, hey, this is what the church is here for, to help people not be deceived in the culture in which we live. Next, conf confronts lovingly. Look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. In love. Next, the testimony of the gifted belongs to a local church. Grows within the church. Look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is Christ the head. Spiritual growth does not always involve learning something new. The most important growth often is in regard to the truth we've already heard but have not fully accepted or applied. That's the problem. A lot of you are going to hear a lot of good stuff, hopefully a lot of good stuff here today, just because we're trying to bring out God's word. And the key is not, well, oh, I learned something today. The key is, how is that transforming your life? How is it changing you? Next, connects with the church. Connects with, this is people, the, the gifted are people looking to connect to the church. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies. It means intentional placement and connectedness. It implies intimacy. It's also found in the present tense, which means this. It's a continual act. That we be placed in the body and we stay in the body. It's intentional. There's a placement to it. That's the reason many times when people come here uh, to, to join our church, I'll ask them, I'll say this, do you believe God is calling you to be a part of this local church? And they say, yeah, why would I, not, why would I be here if I didn't? No, they don't say that. But the reason I ask that is because I want to think that you were placed here. There's intentionality about you being here. That's the terminology we find in Scripture. Serves within the church. Look at verse 16. 
It, it says, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. When every part does its share, it causes growth. When you use your gifts, when you use the gift God causes you to, gave to you, it promotes growth. Write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27 tells you how all this comes about. I don't have time to get to that. Next, the aftermath of, of gifts. Look at verse 16, the very last part. Why, do, why is all this in place? For the edifying of itself in love. Verse 16 is the desired creation of the masterpiece. That's what God is looking for. Here, here's what we need to understand. God has intentionally placed us together. Okay, We, we got some feet we got some hands, we got some eyes, we got some ears. He's creating the body, okay? He's the head, but he's creating the body. Do you know where love fits in all this? Did you know that we could be a body and not have love? Yeah, we are to be a body and have love. Someone, Warren Wiersbe said this, love is a circulatory system of the body. It's the blood that flows. It's the thing that keeps it, around, it, keeps it where it needs to be. That's what we've been called to do. Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you have love for one another. That's how they're going to know it. That's how they're going to get it. Look at application. We are called to put the love of God on display. Did you know that? That's what we're called to do, to put the love of God on display before a lost world as individuals and as a church family. We do this when we walk in unity with one another while using the gifts God has given us to share his love with others. So here's the question. How are you doing with this call God has placed on your life? Here's another question. Does our church family display the love of God within and without? Let me, let me tell you how a church will know if it's displaying the love of God correctly. Let me, let me tell you one way. When we take the stands that we need to take as a local church, how many of you agree churches need to take a stand in the community? Yeah, when we take those stands, the world looks on and they may disagree with us, but there's something about them that says, but they do love people. There is something about them that's different. That's when we know we've succeeded in our community. When we take the stands, but people can't deny that we still love that's what it looks like. That's what we should be striving for. I'm just going to ask uh, at this time the ushers to come forward if they would. The ushers, would you just come forward? And we're going to close the service in this way. Ushers, Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. And, and Father, I look around this room and I see there's so many people in this room who have tremendous gifts. There's things that you've given them, abilities, there's certain talents, there's certain gifts. It's so obvious that are there. Father, help us to understand that you have called us to, to, to use those gifts, to build the kingdom, to build the church, that, that there be nothing lacking. Father, I thank you for a church that seems to take that very seriously. But Father, I just pray that all of us will have that self-evaluation of are we fulfilling what you've called us to fulfill? Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today before they leave this room that they'll come up to a pastor and say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'll work in their hearts. Lord, we thank you for this offer and thank you for the privilege it's ours to give it. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.